Well, good morning, church. This morning, I want us to begin our time together a little differently. I want us to think intentionally about the question I continuously have asked our students all weekend long. So what I want you to do is in your seat, maybe if you have a pencil or a pen, grab your worship guide, and I want you to actually answer the question by just jotting down a few things that is the question of our meditation this morning. And if you don't have a pen, that's okay. I want you to sit for a moment and answer this question. If you were asked to describe your life in one story, what story would you choose? asked to describe your life in one story, what story would you choose? Keep it in your mind. Hold on to it. Don't forget it. Because I wonder what story you would pick. Would you tell the story of your birth? Would you recall the story of your children's births? Would you express a moment when you feel like you were your best self? or maybe even just your worst self? Would you share your baptismal story? Or maybe the story of the day you accepted faith? What story would you tell and why? What does that story tell you about you? Better yet, what does that story tell us about God? You see, the stories we tell carry value. They are the truths we believe about ourselves, and they are also sometimes the assumed views that others have of us. This weekend at Disciple Now, our students have spent a lot of time pondering, creating, and telling their stories. We have placed value on our own individual stories while also being thoughtful about the importance of others' stories. We have spent time recognizing God within our personal stories while simultaneously looking for God in the stories of others. And then, to cap it all off, we spent some time trying to realize that the stories we tell and the ways we tell them are actually how we define and know God. Now, I personally entered this weekend hoping to actually get to know our 2BC students a little better. Now, this is the first time since I have moved here that I've had a few minutes to spend with them. And so I hoped that I would get to learn about their personalities, their humor, their likes, their dislikes, all of which are actually things we learn through stories. But you see, I had no idea that I would learn a couple of things. One of those is I didn't know that I would learn that our students have a strange affection for Play-Doh. Specifically the middle school boys, can you see? There was an audible excitement in the room the night we pulled it out, okay? The other thing I didn't know that I would learn is I never thought in a million years that I would get to observe Charles, our student pastor, work out slash dance to a Richard Simmons video. (laughs) 
And I would like you to know, friends, you can't unsee the dance moves. You just can't. But in addition to this, I actually had a secret thing I wanted to know. I've been hoping to learn this all weekend. You see, for the last few weeks in preparation for this weekend, every morning when I've gotten up, I have prayed asking God for one thing. I've said, God, teach me something about you from the stories of our 2BC students. You see, sometimes our faith can be stagnant. But stories have the power to inspire and rejuvenate our spirits. Just, I mean, look at the ways that we cling to scripture when life is hard and things are painful and life just seems full of all kinds of struggles. Even in hearing the same story over and over and over again, as I forced our students to do this weekend, we have the opportunity to look anew and see different perspectives and angles even from the same story. And if I'm being honest with you, and maybe even more so honest with myself, here recently I've had moments where I've just felt like I'm going through the motions. My faith has lacked a little bit of luster. I've been in desperate need to look through new eyes, to find a different perspective, if you will. And yet, I'm aware of how often Jesus tells us to have faith like little children. Greg just read it for us. Have faith like little children. Or maybe even for this Sunday specifically, we might say, have faith like our students. So I know it's a little bit self-centered, but I actually entered this weekend of Disciple Now as the speaker, hoping that I might find my faith inspired by the stories of our 2BC students. Hoping that I might actually get a glimpse of God anew and find my spirit full. Just verses after Peter, James, and John experienced the vision of the transfiguration we find the disciples squabbling like siblings. Similarly, they're actually asking the same question that every media reporter for weeks has been asking Donna Kelsey. Who's your favorite? And to Donna Kelsey's credit, Mama Kelsey, as well as to Jesus' credit, neither one of them give an answer. They avoid the question, if you will. You see, the disciples have come hoping that Jesus might point to one of them and deem them greatest in the story of God. They've come believing that their stories of time spent with God make them worthy of such a title. And yet, quite to their surprise, Jesus overlooks them all. He actually calls for the least of these, the least likely the unsuspected, and perhaps even one who's just simply completely unaware. Now, I imagine this moment happening something like this. I imagine that the disciples and Jesus are gathered maybe in a quiet afternoon, and they're standing around Jesus, and they're talking as loudly as possible, some of them pleading for him to just choose one. Parents, you know this moment. Mom, just tell me who's the best of us. I picture that kind of tone. And then I also picture that some of the disciples are standing around going, remember that one time when I did this really great thing? Pick me, I'm the best. This is the moment that's happening. 
And in the midst of it all, they're getting louder and louder, just hoping that maybe their voice will be heard by Jesus. And by default, and maybe in just an exhaustion, he'll say, okay, you're the best. But at the same time, I imagine that Jesus isn't doing any of this. He is quite the opposite. He's quiet. He's somber. You see, just moments before he's told the story of his impending death, he's in a different state of mind. So he's sitting around and he's mindlessly maybe staring into the distance, perhaps a little zoned out, And in the distance, maybe he's watching just a small child playing in the middle of the street in the dirt at her mother's feet. And in the midst of the disciples still struggling amongst themselves, he gets up and silently walks to this child in the street and he stoops down to her level, gets on the ground, and begins to speak to her sweetly, kindly, just making her feel at ease. And very quickly, in the midst of this super serene and wonderfully holy moment, we have the disciples flock in, come quickly. They're looking for an an answer. And there Jesus is, bent down on the ground. He looks up at their expectant and bewildered faces, and he urges them, become like this little one. In essence, he says, If you want to be the greatest in the story of God, stop doing exactly what you're doing right now. Stop debating about your accolades. Stop yearning to prove your worthiness of God's love. Instead, learn to exist as this child, fully unaware of her or anyone else's greatness. Humility at its purest. Goodness expecting absolutely nothing in return. Creation without question of God's love. For this, well, this is the story of the greatest in the story of God. This weekend at Disciple Now, we spent our time learning about Hagar, Sarah's servant, found in Genesis chapter 16 and a few other places. We talked about how Hagar isn't actually Hagar's real name. No. It was given to her. It was a daily reminder that she was a nobody. Because that's what the name Hagar means. Stranger, nobody, outcast. We learned of the different kinds of oppression and marginalization that Hagar would have experienced all of her life, even in the presence of Abraham and Sarah. And then I ask our students to reread Genesis chapter 16 and have us look at the emotions and actions of Sarah specifically, remembering that every story has at least two sides, and both of those sides impact the other. And then finally, we had to turn our attention once again to Genesis chapter 16 at the end and look at who God is in this story. For it's the story of Hagar, one overlooked, mistreated, belittled, a true nobody of society, and yet the one seen by God. Elroy, she names the divine. God who sees me 
Not everyone else who's worthy, but the God who sees me. As our students and I spent some time thinking about this this week, we talked about how God's, or Hagar's naming of God actually tells us a lot about the character of who God is. This story is the answer to the question of who's the greatest in the story of God? Well, here it is. The greatest is the least likely, the unsuspecting, the nobody who ends up naming and actually being known by the somebody, the one society pushed aside and yet God comes to and places value in, the one that God sees. The stories we tell are important. There are hidden meanings, tones, and context in every one. Our stories are powerful. Why else would Jesus' whole ministry be about telling stories, listening to other people's stories, and then even changing and being intentional about changing the stories that both society and even religion deemed righteous? even though sometimes they were often very oppressive. So there he is, Jesus, knelt in the dirt, kneeling by a child, watching with just pure contentment, maybe even holding his hands out wide, watching as this little girl runs back and forth, little feet print making marks in the dirt, running by laughing and giggling, placing toys in his hand and then picking them up and moving. There he is. And in an instant, with just a few words, Jesus' tone and demeanor shift. The disciples would have known it immediately. No longer is this the face of someone soft and gentle, but now staring into their eyes, they're looking at the defender of the weak. They're looking at the parent of a bullied child. They're looking at the creator protecting their creation. They're looking at a watchdog guarding her own. They are looking right there in the eyes of justice. Jesus warns them, do not calls any little one to stumble. The world is already heavy enough and will bring hardships of her own. You, my disciples, my followers, my people, church, do not add to that pain. I imagine Jesus' tone dripped with anger, devastation, and desperation. He is hearing his closest friends debate back and forth who they believe is the greatest among them. And Jesus is overwhelmed by the thought of a child's story being shaped by selfish, egotistical, thoughtless human beings. And at the same time, Jesus himself is sitting in the emotions of his own looming death knowing that such a death will come also at the hands of his beloved humanity. And all the while, the disciples, those who knew him best, who were eyewitnesses to his ministry and his miracles, 
are right before his eyes, once again, missing the mark. Because they're so caught up in their own selfish importance and self-importance that they're missing the truth right before them. So Jesus speaks warning to them. In the midst of their petty squabbling, Jesus chides them to not only stop with this ridiculous debate, but actually to be proactive in making sure that they are cultivating mindsets within people that allow their faith to grow, not as a competition of finding out who's worthy of God's love, but actually, more importantly, to tell the stories of the certainty of God's love. They, them, the disciples, the people of God, they were called to be the storytellers of the God who sees, giving value to everyone who could hear. For this, well, this is the story of the greatest in the story of God. Storytelling is important. It's more important maybe than we even realize. Our stories have the potential to transform lives and make people feel seen and give them value. I am the human pastor and person of faith I am today because of the stories I have both heard and the stories I have told. Most of my childhood, I actually spent as a very shy child, hidden behind the legs of my parents because I didn't really like the attention or people to talk to me. It's funny that God would call me to be a senior pastor. But my shyness actually gifted me a few things. It made me a really good listener because it's easier to listen when you're not someone who talks all the time. It made me someone who was a good observer, observing emotions and responses and reactions. It made me one who catches the minute details, the obscure moments that most people just overlook. It made me a good storyteller. Because when I felt that I didn't always have the confidence to tell my own story, I could retell the story that I had been told. I am the person and pastor I am today because of the stories of the women throughout scripture that my family and my church family told and retold to me. I am the pastor in your pulpit today because of the stories of great women of faith throughout generations that have been told to me over and over and over again. Friends, our stories have power. So much power. And the stories we tell and the stories we hear, well, they have the power to transform lives. This weekend, I heard the stories of our 2BC students, and I am moved by the glimpses of God that I have seen. I have actually found my own story rejuvenated by the person of God I have heard about in their stories. Together, we have heard the plea of God to become like humble, small child, to embrace the calling to guide humanity well, so that we might have our faith flourish. Church, my time with our students this weekend has reminded me 
that they have stories we need to hear. And we have stories they need to hear. So that both of us might know God better. And that we might get a fuller glimpse of who God is. So wondrous storytellers, if you were asked to describe your life in one story, what story would you choose? Remember the story you thought of at the beginning of this sermon. Think about it. What does that story tell about you? What does that story tell about God? What does that story tell about faith? For that, well, that's the greatest story. It's the story of the greatest in the story of God. Amen.